John chapter 3, beginning in verse 22. This is God's word, eternally true. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, where he spent some time with them and baptized. Now, John was also baptizing at Anon, near Salim, because there was plenty of water, and people were constantly coming to be baptized. This was before John was put in prison. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. Over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who is with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, well, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. To this, John replied, a man can receive only what is given him from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said I am not the Christ, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and is now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. Here ends our reading. There's a uh, response of thankfulness printed up here and in your bulletins, the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks indeed. Let's pray. Uh, there's a, a funny skit that some of you know that Will Ferrell did on Saturday Night Live and brought out on different uh, different shows, and he pretends to be the famous announcer for the Chicago Cubs, Harry Carey. <laughs> but it's just a, a funny, ridiculous imitation. It's not really, you know, I don't think it's supposed to be that accurate of him, although I've never heard much of Harry Carey. Sorry, Cubs fans there. Uh, but... But he asks ridiculous questions in the middle of nothing. And the, the setup is usually he has a talk show. But he's a baseball announcer, and so he's usually talking about things like hot dogs and beer and baseball and chili dogs, those kind of things. And, and he asks at one point the person sitting next to him, if you were hungry and you were a hot dog, would you eat yourself? <laughs> And the person next to him says, I, I don't know what you mean. He says, well, I know I would. I'd smother myself with chili and mustard and down me real fast. And so finally, he says, so answer the question. Would you eat yourself if you were a hot dog and you were starving? And the guy finally says, well, I guess I would. He says, oh, good. I think you made a wise choice, my friend. But I always think of this when I'm thinking about scripture and wise choices we can make. <laughs> How's that for an intro, huh? And God says to you this morning, I think you made a wise choice. And the wise choice is this, that you're here, that you've believed. And that was the thing that was the big question for, for John's audiences he wrote and why he wrote a fourth gospel he's writing to jewish people and and they were being questioned every day by parents and, and and friends and maybe a spouse who hadn't believed yet in jesus and was still just a baldly jewish without jesus and they were being persecuted and, and, and questioned in various ways and the question could come to them what have i done People are telling me I'm unfaithful to the one true God. 
that I'm not following in the ways of Moses and Abraham, that I'm being unfaithful to the one who created the heavens and the earth in six days and ordered them so. And John wanted to write to reassure them that they had made, that they had made a, wise, a wise choice, um, that they had done what was right and good and wise, and that those who were questioning them, who were the majority of their friends, the majority of Jewish people didn't believe in the first century. It was not a lot different than when Jesus was just boots on the ground or sandals on the ground or whatever Jesus wore. Um, most didn't believe um, that the, the voice vote was crucify him. And, and those who were appalled at this were, were overrun. And, and so we look at this at how you, by being here, by being in the church, by being identified in life as being a person who is Christ, have made, have made a wise choice. And so as we look at this passage, John's dealing with this. And if you'd like to fill out blanks in an outline, uh, you can uh, fill in uh, here. You can start now. If you want to just listen, that's fine too. But we're answering the question that's this. How do I make it through and endure? How do I make it through and endure when family, friends, and coworkers disapprove? Disapprove of my following Christ. They hear, they learn that you're following Christ, that you're a member of the church, that you're associated with Jesus, and they disapprove and they look down upon you and they, they discourage you, whether by subtle ways or whether by talking to you and saying, you're an idiot, you should get out of there. How do you endure? How do you make it through? And so John communicates this scene that we haven't seen before in the other three Gospels that were written earlier uh, of where everybody's baptizing. John the Baptist is still, he's not in prison yet. Uh, Jesus is, uh, uh, has been baptized by John and Jesus and his disciples are out. You can look, you can cheat down to chapter four, verse two. Jesus didn't baptize anyone, but his disciples were baptizing people and Jesus was there watching these people uh, be baptized. Um, but how do we how do we deal with this? Some of you come from a, a Catholic background and you're in a, an evangelical church and your parents are looking at you like you're crazy. Uh, some of you have come from atheistic backgrounds and some of you it's both. Some of you have atheistic Catholic parents. <laughs> you know, the Catholic part's cultural. Or, or some people come from a Jewish background that's like this. It's, in, in practical terms, it's atheistic. Sometimes it's believing. But it's Jewish, and and now you're you're in the church. Um, other people come from backgrounds that are Buddhist or Hindu or, or whatever Islam. Um, and, and so, what do you do? How do you endure um, from these uh, uh, from these others? If you're like me, you you grew up among um, biblically unbelieving uh, Protestants. Um, those who didn't believe the Bible, those who said, oh, everybody goes to heaven. Um, or or that's ridiculous. You know, you really think Jesus is God? You know, and that's what I grew up in, 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 in the church, a theologically unbelieving Protestant church. Um, but what's the instruction here from John that he gives us, that he gives us here? And the first thing is this. He says, boldly affiliate. Boldly affiliate. It's two Fs if you're spelling challenged. Boldly affiliate. Uh, with Christ's church. 
that's what people are doing here. They're, they're, they're going, they're leaving their homes in this text. They're leaving these homes and they're affiliating with, and they're being seen with, they're being baptized, they're being marked, they're having this ceremony done to them by Jesus' disciples and by the last great prophet that the world knew before Jesus, John the Baptist, who was pointing to Jesus and saying very clearly, I'm not the Christ and, and there's one greater than me that you should follow, one who had pointed his own disciples to Jesus. They're boldly affiliating with Jesus. We saw in chapter one, the Pharisees, and you know, you know this, you, you can know it from the other gospels too, the Pharisees were not really in favor of Jesus. And they come and they question John the Baptist and they don't come like everyone else comes to John the Baptist and says, I'm repenting, baptize me, cleanse me, you know, that kind of thing and kind of desperately wanting to get right with God. The Pharisees come and say, what are you doing and who are you? <laughs> um, and so to, to associate with John the Baptist, who was pointing to Jesus, kind of a, a, a you know, association with Jesus by proxy a little bit, or to, to come and be baptized with Jesus uh, Jesus' disciples, that was, a, that was a bold thing. And that's not unlike what you and I are doing today, especially in you know, United States culture today versus United States culture even in you know, the 70s, but let alone like the 50s when you know, that was just something, if you didn't go to church, you were a bad person. Now, if you go to church, you're a bad person. Um, and so it's a bold affiliation with Jesus. And we're told to have that. This is right and good that people are going and, and being baptized. And John the Baptist, we see, is having joy over people coming and being baptized, boldly affiliating, coming out of their houses, not just going to the temple or their synagogues, but associating with Jesus. And this is a bold affiliation. And so it's a good thing for us to have a bold, boldly affiliated with Christ's church. And so out of that, we have number one here. How can we boldly affiliate with Christ's church? Well, be baptized into its membership. Okay, so that's one thing we see here. Be baptized into its membership. Now, think of John in his setting. He's writing, you know, 33, four years later, something like that. If we just take a bald, you know, AD 90 date for the Gospel of John and a AD 27 date for the beginning of Jesus' ministry. So something like that, about 63, 63 years. Um, but, but by the time John's writing, here's how you boldly affiliate with Jesus. You've become a member of the church, right? You're not, you're not going to the synagogue. You're not going to the, the temple anymore. You're, and you're not going on Saturdays to the synagogue. You're doing what the church does. You're, you're at home watching football on Saturdays. <laughs> so you've become a college football fan. And, and you're not watching NFL football anymore because you're joining together with what the church did from its earlier earliest days, calling it the Lord's Day, the first day of the week, the day Jesus was baptized or Jesus was resurrected. And to celebrate this resurrection, the church is meeting on Sundays. And so this is a bold affiliation. You're a member of a new group. And, and, and you were clearly culturally, religiously a member of another group before. You were circumcised as a Jew, marked as a member of the Jewish faith. And now you've been marked with baptism. Right? This is this is what, what people do when they when they believe. You know, and what Jesus told his disciples in Matthew twenty eight, you know, 
Preach the gospel to everybody. Make disciples of all nation, nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. This is bold identification with the church. Um, Peter, Peter, as he's, as he's uh, talking to Jewish people, those are all Jewish people he's talking to in Acts chapter 2. They've gathered in Jerusalem, the city of the Jews, for the Jewish festival of Pentecost. This was a Jewish festival. These were faithful Jewish people who may have known nothing about Jesus, who have come into Jerusalem, and they see this hubbub that the Spirit of God has, has fallen down upon Jesus' disciples, Jesus from heaven. He's been ascended, and he sends his Spirit down upon his disciples who are waiting there in Jerusalem, which he told them to do, and they start speaking in other languages. And so these people from all these various places, they get listed. We skipped all those, the names of the various places. You're welcome, Bob. You didn't have to pronounce those. Um, and, and they hear and they say, these people are, 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 how is it that they're speaking in my native tongue from Turkey or Uzbekistan or wherever they were from? And all those nations are listed. These, how, how do these Judeans, how do these people from Jerusalem, how do they know my tongue, they're speaking. And so God pours out in, in, in this way. But Peter, when they say, we agree, Peter, Jesus is the Christ. What shall we do? He says, repent and be baptized. You came here for a Jewish festival. You came here as merely circumcised people. But now here's a new sign for the people who are following the one true God baptism be baptized see if you, if you just remain circumcised it doesn't show anything right it just shows you're still jewish it, you know it could show that you'd say i shouted crucify him and i'd do it today too but not if i'm baptized so so that's that's the thing that we do and that's why it's commanded in the church we are baptized into the membership of the church and so we see this in verses 22 through 25 and in verses 29 and 30 in this passage baptism is going on and so we've got john the baptist this last great prophet of the old testament and he rejoices to see so many people flocking to baptism and you notice it's not just flocking to to him to be baptized but when he hears more people are being baptized by Jesus' disciples, that's when we have this report that John has joy, um, that people are being baptized. And so um, John says this in verse 29. Look at verse 29 there. He says, um, uh, the bride belongs to the bridegroom. Now, a little language here so we don't get confused. The bride is the church. The bride is the people of God. And God had spoken that way of his people in the Old Testament as well. He had spoken of himself as being the husband of Israel. And so what we see here is John is, is saying the people of God, as John the Baptist identified, the people of God are no longer the Jews. The people of God are those who follow Jesus. They're the bride. And who are they married to? The bridegroom. And that's Jesus. And this is, and John here says, I'm, I'm the friend of the bridegroom. I'm the friend of Jesus. And we're at a wedding here. And those people who are paying attention to the bridegroom, that's as it should be. I'm happy 
for my friend. So you're like, you know, Andrew, he's the friend of the bridegroom yesterday. He's happy for his friend. And if people start paying attention to John the Baptist, John the Baptist says, no, I'm just the friend. The wedding invitation you got did not have my name on it. The wedding invitation you got had Jesus' name on it, and you should be paying attention to him. If the wedding photographer starts taking pictures of you as the friend, you say, no, this is not my wedding. He's the bridegroom. Take pictures of him and rejoice over him getting married today to his bride, which is the church. And we see a lot of that uh, worked out in, in uh, Ephesians 5 as well, um, where the church is the bride of Christ uh, and Christ is the bridegroom. But again, God calls himself uh, the husband of Israel in the Old Testament. And so we see this superseding uh, work going here. Uh, now B, so being baptized into its membership or boldly affiliating with Christ's church. Um, and, and for you know, John, John's audience there who he's writing to, it's like, don't be, don't pretend just to be Jewish and be a secret Christian. Boldly affiliate, mark yourself with the church. Uh, B, B here. So boldly affiliating with Christ's church, B. Baptism is a sacrament. Um, it's uh, a physical ceremonial, uh, it's physical ceremonial uh, act of the church, marking one's membership in the body of Christ, the church. That's what we see here. That's what they were doing in the first century. That's what they're doing in Acts 2. It's what they're doing in John's day when John's writing the, the gospel here. He's showing his people, John is, in, in AD 90, it was, a, it was a, the right thing you did to be baptized into the church to be marked publicly as a follower, as a follower of Jesus. Um, and, and now if someone says, have you been baptized? You've got to say yes or lie. Okay. So you've, you've made that step. You've got, you know, it's like, you know, once you say I do, it's over, right? You're, 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 you're married forever, you know, until death do us part, right? Uh, but but that's it. When you step into baptism, that is that that public affiliation in, in by this sacrament of the church. And so you look at verse 25 there. Look, look there. Um, an argument developed between some of John's disciples, John the Baptist's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. We mentioned this in Sunday school this morning. Baptism was a ceremonial thing. And it was associated with all the ceremonial stuff in the Old Testament. It was a way, it, it didn't mean that anyone who was baptized automatically had their sins forgiven. Uh, it, was, it was a sacrament. It was a, a physical thing that was done to mark people. So if you want to mark a priest as a priest, you anointed him. You, know, you, you poured oil upon him or sprinkled his garments with water. Um, it was a public ceremony. Uh, a sacramental, a sacramental thing um, to mark uh, who a person is, and so that's what's done. And, and so, as people come into the church, um, uh, as elders, as our session interviews people, as they come into church membership, one of the questions we ask if the person's a believer: Have you ever been baptized? Because we want to make sure that's just in order. You know, that's something for a Christian to be baptized, to be a, mar a person who's marked um, in membership of the church. Um, baptism is that marking or that um, uh, own, you know, getting the owner certificate of something, so to speak. Um, and this sacrament is what uh, uh, 
Peter speaks to in Acts chapter 2. They're in verse 38 and verse 41. When the people say, we believe, Peter says, okay, then get baptized. Mark it. Mark your affiliation. And, and so when you go back to you know, Turkey or, or back to Assyria or wherever you've come from to celebrate Pentecost there in, in that uh, AD 30 when Peter's celebrating Pentecost there, and people say, how was Pentecost? Anything special happened? Yeah, I said, well, I got baptized. I got marked by the apostles. Um, and, and that means I'm part of a new group. Um, I, I've come to believe and come to believe in Jesus. Um, so that's how the church marks people as their own, as members, as those who are associated with Jesus, with the ceremonial washing of bapt with ceremonial washing of baptism. And, and Peter says, verse 39, um, there, or verse 38 of Acts chapter 2, this promise is not only for you, but for your children after you. And what he's doing there is he's quoting Genesis 17, which is where God gives the command of circumcision to Abraham. And he says, you're to, uh, you're to circumcise yourself, Abraham. Abraham wasn't circumcised yet. And you're to circumcise your children. And from now on, your people are circumcised, all their male children, at eight days old. Uh, and so this baptism or this circumcision was not a thing of, of um, marking saving faith for children. It was a thing that marked that those who have saving faith, God takes care of their kids as well. And we have a hope that there will be saving faith among the kids too. Uh, now C, C. Baptism from Jesus' day onward replaced circumcision. Baptism from Jesus, this is C. Baptism from Jesus' day onward replaced circumcision as the sacramental ceremony or sign that marks who is a member of God's people. So let me read you just a few uh, verses here. Uh, Paul writes in Galatians 5, 6, For in Christ neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. So that's what I've listed there for you, Galatians 5, 6. Neither circumcision or uncircumcision means anything. People are coming from Jewish backgrounds and Gentile back, backgrounds to Jesus, and therefore circumcision doesn't mean anything to us. We don't care. And it's no longer the mark of the church. If it were the mark of the church, it would mean something. Not unto salvation, but it would mean something, whether you're a member of the church or not. But it doesn't. He says, Galatians 5, 6, he says it elsewhere too. For in Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. And then uh, Colossians 2, 11 and 12. This is where he shows, uh, just like we could, we could see from Peter in Acts chapter 2, that the covenant sign, the mark of whether you're a part of the people of God, is circumcision or baptism. We could get that just from Peter in Acts chapter 2. And we see the reason for that, right? As we talked about, if you're circumcised, that doesn't tell us anything about your belief or disbelief in Jesus. So they needed a new covenant sign to mark who was under the son of David. Because think Judah in the first century would say, I'm under the son of David and I'm still waiting for him to come and, and take the kingship in Jerusalem and sit on a physical throne. Um, and so they needed a new mark. And so Peter gives them that mark. He gives them that sacrament right there when they say, what shall we do? And, and he says, be baptized, be baptized. Um, 
but in Colossians 2, 11, Paul says this, In Jesus you were also circumcised in putting off of the sinful nature, not with, and he's talking about a circumcision of the heart at this point. Sorry, I didn't, I should mention that before. You were circumcised of heart um, in putting off the sinful nature, not with the circumcision done by hands, the hands of men. So again, Peter's saying, or sorry, Paul's saying, I'm not talking about circumcision of the flesh right now. I'm talking about circumcision of the heart, which is regeneration by the spirit, saving faith and all that. Not talking about a circumcision done by the hands of men, but with a circumcision done by Christ, who baptized you with the spirit. Remember that? John 1, John the Baptist said, I baptize with water, but Jesus will baptize with the spirit. That's Jesus' circumcision of you. He baptized you with the spirit. Jesus circumcised your heart when you came when you came to faith. But having been buried, uh, it says uh, circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. So you've been brought from death to life in this spiritual circumcision of the heart, in this regeneration. And so now, how do, we, how do we mark this? We mark this with baptism. I've been baptized by the Spirit. That's why I believe. So therefore, I get marked by this physical baptism of water that just shows the spiritual reality that's happened to me. Okay? In the Old Testament, the physical marking of the spiritual reality that was to happen to the person of God was they were to have a circumcision of the heart. Jeremiah challenged his audience his uh, um, peers to this. He says, you need to be circumcised of heart. Moses said it as, as well to his generation. You need to be circumcised of heart. So this physical marker, this sacrament, and the meaning of the sacrament are both true of you. So you're not just physically circumcised, but you have circumcision of the heart as well. Now, because there's been a baptism of the Spirit, a regeneration that Jesus baptized you with, then you're marked not with circumcision, but you're marked with baptism. And this sets us apart as a member of, of, God's, of God's people. Okay? Um, so baptism from Jesus' day onward replaced circumcision. It's the sacramental ceremony or sign. Um, and in Philippians 3.3, 3, um, Paul writes there, for it is we who are the circumcision. <laughs> Contrast to Jews. We're the ones who understand what Old Testament circumcision was about. It was always about a circumcision of the heart. And so he says there, we who are the circumcision, we worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Okay, so that's who we are. We're people who are baptized by water to mark our spiritual baptism by the Holy Spirit that Jesus did to give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to understand. So D, um, kind of in summary of, of point one, be marked and inside the church. That's John's message to his audience. Be marked and inside the church. If you're already marked in baptism, John was saying, John the apostle was saying to those he was writing to, if you're already marked in baptism, great, you did, I think you made a wise choice. <laughs> but if you're not, if you're holding off, if you're intimidated, if you don't want your, your parents and your friends and your, your co-workers who are Jewish to question you and to persecute you, do it anyway. 
just like these people did it as they had to go out into the the wilderness and leave their homes and boldly associate with Jesus, so should you. This made John the Baptist, the last great prophet of the Old Testament era, happy. It made him glad. He rejoiced over this. It's the right thing to do, to be baptized, to be boldly associated with Jesus' church, even if it means persecution or hardship for you. So and that, that, that's the end of that. So be marked inside the church, though it'll bring you derision and persecution. Those are your blanks there. Though it'll bring you derision and persecution. Jesus spoke of this in Matthew 5, 11 and 12 at the end of the Beatitudes in the midst of the Sermon on the Mount. You know, he said, blessed are you when men persecute you and say all kinds of evil of you because of me. For so the prophets before you were persecuted. And so that's what we endure because of our faith in Jesus. We're persecuted. And so we say, bring it on. Baptize me. Yes, I'm a member of the church. I'm a member of this group. Um, John 16, 33, Jesus prepares his own disciples for it. He says, in the world, you'll have tribulation, but take courage. I've overcome the world. Um, in Second uh, Peter, Second Timothy 3, 12, uh, Paul says to Timothy, one of the last things Paul's writing in 2 Timothy 3.12, and indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, if you're in Christ, you will be persecuted, is what he says. So be marked and inside the church, though it'll bring you derision and persecution. It's right for you to be associated from the church and don't shy away from that. But though persecution and derision uh, may come because you've gone after Jesus, number two, Rest, rest or be confident, be assured in being a member of Christ's church. You've done the right thing in attaching yourself to the church. John shows us this in a number of ways in this passage. John shows us here, A, John shows us here that the religion, the only true God, the God of the Old Testament is supporting, involved with and growing is Christianity. Uh, verses 26 and, and 30. Verse 26, look there. John is told, everyone is going to him. That is to Jesus. Everyone is going to him. And John rejoices over this. This is as it should be, he said. Uh, and so we see here, it's the church that God is growing. The last great prophet of the Old Testament said, this is what is supposed to be happening. The church is growing. John is not having joy over people flocking to the Pharisees, over them flocking to the temple. He's having joy over people flocking to Jesus to be baptized by his disciples there. And so he says, look at the last verse there. He says, he must become greater. I must become less. This is God's plan, that the church, the followers of Jesus, become greater and that everything else becomes less. That's the great hope we have in, in Jesus' return, that, that all that will be on earth is those who are following Jesus, the church, the church victorious, the church arrived, and that there will, and everything else will not just be less, it won't be on the earth anymore for the meek will have inherited it 
So you're in the right place being in the church. This is what John the Baptist is affirming. No, these people going to Jesus to be baptized, they're going to the right place. You coming to the church, being baptized, you've come to the right place, is what John the Baptist, the great last prophet of the Old Testament says. Now, B, B. Old Testament religion has been superseded. And I learned this week you can spell that with an S or a C in the middle of that. The last S there is, yeah, either way. So the seated part can start with a C or an S. Superseded. And that means uh, uh, taken over by. Taken over by. Um, not necessarily replaced, but taken over by. Um, it's the same organization. It's like the, re it's like the uh, superseding a, a head coach of a team. It's the same. It's still the Chicago Bears, but, but now there's a new coach. But it's still the Chicago, what some of you who are Bears fans are hoping for. Eber Fluss is on his last season, unless something miraculous happens this year. Um, but, uh, but it's the same organization. And that's what's being shown in Scripture and throughout the New Testament. Um, this is that the church is the supersession or the, the taking over of the, the church. The church is coming out of Old Testament, Old Testament religion. Uh, Old Testament religion has been superseded by Christianity. And this is what Paul is speaking of in Acts. And, and the, the later passages we read in Acts, Acts 26, um, you can read Acts um, 28 as well. Paul is making the case to Jews. For, well, first, he's talking to Agrippa in 26. And he says, here's what I've been doing. I'm here in front of you of Agrippa because the Jews are mad at me. But here's what's happening. Everything the 12 tribes of Israel have hoped for is what I've been preaching. I'm not preaching a different religion. I am preaching the hope of the religion I've grown up in. I'm preaching the hope of the religion of the 12 tribes of Israel, not something different. We know this from John. Jesus is the Christ. And what's the Christ? The Christ is the King. The anointed son of David who leads God's people. And so God in providing Jesus to his people, John 1.11, he came to his own, but his own did not receive him. God's not starting a new thing. It's just some from the old thing, from Old Testament religion, or as Paul says in Romans 12, from the root. You know, the disciples, the 11, were all from the root. They were all Jews. They were just part of the root Old Testament religion that had sent, said, God has sent us our king, the king we were waiting for, the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. And so that's the, the continuation of this. Paul says the same thing as he's on, under house arrest in Rome in chapter 28 of, of the, the book of Acts as well. And so that that's listed for you um, there as well. Twenty eight twenty. Um, he's not he, he says. For this reason, I have asked to see you Jews and talk with you. He's gathered Jewish people in Rome to him. It is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. It's not because I'm telling Jews to become something different. It's not because I'm telling Jews to become Buddhists. It's because I'm telling Jews to be really Jews. Paul writes in his letter to the Romans that, that a true Jew is not somebody who's just Jewish by circumcision physically. A true Jew is someone who has faith. John would write five years from here in the book of Revelation as he's writing to the seven churches that there are there, there's a synagogue of Satan that are full of false Jews. 
And what he means is Jewish people who haven't believed in Jesus. And so the Old Testament religion has been superseded by Christianity. It's not a, it's not a different thing. It's the fulfillment of Old Testament religion is what Christianity what Christianity is. So uh, under B, that next sentence for you, the key figures in Old Testament religion, the anointed men, the anointed men, prophets, priests, and kings, that doesn't change. God still has, pro God still has that system in place, the office of prophet, priest, and king for his people, and we still need all three offices. But it's been taken over all these offices of these three types of anointed men have been taken over by one man. Of course, that sounds like a squirrel, but we'll say Jesus there. Taken over by Jesus, the new anointed one, which is what Christ means. We have all in one. You know, it's, it's a um, pert, right? You have shampoo and conditioner all in, all in one. Pert was the first to do it. Those innovators there. Um, but you got prophet, priest, and king all in one. But this is not different than Old Testament religion. It's a better prophet. It's a better priest. And it's a better king than Old Testament Jews had. But he's still serving those same functions. He's teaching us as a prophet. Right? He's, he's offering a great offering for the forgiveness of our sins as priest, Jesus is. Offering his own body on the cross, so he's the pro he's the priest making the offering. He's also the sacrifice, but he's also the king, the anointed one, the Christ, um, who's the son of David and rightly called so. And so Paul is speaking as he says to the Jews there in Acts 28 because of the hope of Israel, the hope of Israel to have righteous prophets, priests, and kings who would mean our blessing has all come to us. In one person, in one anointed one, in one Christ. Um, so the Christ there is your blank uh, there. So John the Baptist, the prophet, which his dad calls him as he's being born there in Luke 1, 76. Um, John, the, uh, John the Baptist is a prophet. He's also a priest. Luke 1, 5 tells us that both his dad and his mom came from the line of Aaron. So John, John the Baptist is both in one, prophet and priest. He, uh, representing these two of the three types of anointed persons of the Old Testament, points his disciples to Jesus. And that's what we saw in, in John chapter 1. He tells Andrew and John, behold the Lamb of God. And he points them. Jesus to them, and they go and they follow Jesus. And they don't follow John the Baptist any, anymore. And so he points his disciples and others to Jesus. When the Pharisees come and say, are you the Christ? He says, nope, don't follow me. There's one greater. And then Jesus arrives on the scene and he says, this one. I was told that the one a dove descends upon when I baptize him is he who will baptize in the Holy Spirit. And so... Uh, this is Jesus, this third type of anointed person, Jesus being Christ the King. So see, know that true religion without Jesus is a thing of the past. True religion without Jesus is a thing of the past. Now, you can understand this from John's point of view in AD 90. That's what he's telling his audience. See, you know, there aren't two equally, you know, accepted religions by God who created the heavens and the earth. 
by God who inspired Moses to write the first books, five books of the Bible. There aren't two religions anymore. Religion without Jesus is a thing of the past. Um, so verses 27, 29, we're looking at that. We can rest in being a member of Christ's church. Um, you know, sometimes you and I are accused of being antiquated or old-fashioned because we're Christians. We find out here it's just the opposite. <laughs> Those who are seeking other gods, whether that's wealth, power, and fame, or whether that's Islam or Buddhism or Hinduism or atheism or self-worship or whatever it is, that's a thing of the past. The one true religion that's being accepted today is the religion where Jesus, where Jesus is the center. Um, it's the other way around. Um, we're not anti, you know, it's Pee Wee Herman. I'm not antiquated. You are. Um, I know you are, but what am I? Um, but God's movement in growing and caring for his people through human history has gone from Old Testament Jewish religion to the religion that Jesus has Jesus at its center, the religion of the Christian church. Um, so verse 29, uh, John, this last Old Testament prophet, pre-cross, pre um, the last Old Testament religion spokesman. Okay, that's who John is, John the Baptist. He's the last spokesman, the last man to be inspired by God with a message from God to the people prior to Jesus being anointed for ministry through the baptism that John the Baptist gave him. Um, uh, he's full of joy that Jews are heading to Jesus. Um, and here's the transition in a historical scene. That's what we're given here in this passage. It's historical, here's the transition. People are literally heading from Old Testament religion to what superseded it. Religion sent from God in heaven above that centers around his very son, Jesus. And so there it is, right here in a scene. A transition. The last of the people are being baptized by John the Baptist. People are starting to be baptized in Jesus. And now there will be more of that, as John says in verse 30. He must increase and I must decrease. So here's the, here's the transition uh, right here. Uh, verse 27, um, John the Baptist's ministry was all about this, just as he had said in uh, chapter 1, verses um, 29 through 37. Um, he's transitioning people to Jesus, making a way, a clear path for people to find Jesus as this last Old Testament prophet. Here's what God's doing now. See, John the Baptist is progressive. <laughs> he's bringing people forward into a new era where their son of David King, who would bring them blessing, is no longer just a human but he's a human who's also God and perfect. Um, so John uh, Jesus is saying Jesus was not an aberration uh, from John the Baptist, this high res respected man among the Jews, uh, but also this. John had communicated this maybe five years before in his letter in 1 John. That's why he had a bunch of 1 John stuff up here. And John probably wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John in about five years before the gospel. Um, he says this, 1 John 2, 23. It was, it was part of our declaration of the gospel. You can see it on, the, on, on your front page there. 1 John 2, 23. Um, no one who denies the Son has the Father. Get that? 
This is John, and he's writing in the context. What about Jews who haven't believed in Jesus? Uh-uh. Uh, and we're not being mean to Jews here. We, you know, if you weren't, weren't a Jew and didn't have Jesus, you also don't have the Father. But this is showing us that the, the thing God is doing, the, the group God is with, the group, group God is progressing and increasing and growing and that he cares about and that he's watching over are those who have received his son. And if they rejected his son, think about how you feel when someone rejects your son or your daughter or some kid beats your son or your daughter up at school unless you're a Schmidt kid and you're like a whole head taller than everybody else. <laughs> then you tell them who's who. But yeah, yeah, if you're like, you know, it, it, you don't take kindly to that. But this is what John says in John 1, 1, uh, 1 John 2, 23. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. There's no other way. Okay, Jesus is the very center of things. Um, so here's what this means. A Jewish person in the first century or now who didn't or doesn't have Jesus, who hasn't believed that, he is the, that Jesus is the Christ they need, not only does not have the Son, but they don't have the Father that they think they have either. Um, if you were under um, Old Testament religion, uh, when David first became king. And God communicates, I'm going to bless my people from now on through a king, through David and his sons. And you left. And you didn't receive David and his sons as your king. You stepped out of the blessing that God had for you. Okay, and this is, this is the same here. God has given us a son of David, a king that he has anointed and if you step outside of having Jesus as your king, you're stepping outside of being a person who is a part of God's people. All God's people are citizens of son David and his sons. And if you're not a citizen of David and his sons, you're not a citizen of the kingdom of God in the Old Testament. And so the same, the same thing here with Jesus is what John is communicating there in 1 John. So the first century was a turning point. It's when the Old Testament religion went from Three anointed types, prophets, priests, and king, to one anointed person, Christ Jesus. So once a Jew hears in the first century, you know, they kind of have this little leeway time there we see in the book of Acts. Until Paul arrives at your synagogue, you're still a covenant-believing person without Jesus, aren't you? Because that's all you have. And so, you know, if you die there in a synagogue in AD 36 and no apostle has gotten to you and you die in faith in the one true God... You're in heaven. But once Jesus is presented to you, then you've got a choice to make. Uh, there's, there's a fork in the road at that point. And you see that with each synagogue Paul goes to. Some Jews believe and others kick, kick Paul out of, the, out of the synagogue and run him out of town or try to stone him to death. So in Jesus, with his life and death, all things change. Uh, if you have Jesus, you have the Father. If not, you don't. True religion without Jesus is a thing of the past. So God tells us in this passage, first of all, point one, boldly affiliate with Christ's church. Uh, come out, be baptized, be a part of this group. And then two, rest and be confident, be assured in being a member of Christ's, being a member of Christ's church. This is what God is doing. He's not doing something else. And then three, be encouraged. Be encouraged about being in the church, 
have joy about this. Be encouraged about being in the church, even though many may be disappointed in you. Many may be disappointed in you for being a part of it. Maybe you have a, a very intellectual or academic father or mother who's not a believer and they're disappointed in you for being you know, one of those evangelical, Bible-believing Christians. Uh, maybe you have friends who uh, are disappointed in, in you now that you're following Jesus. Um, that's very common for us, as we talked about earlier. Uh, but A, notice this. A, John the Baptist saw the migration to following Jesus. He's witnessing that right here in this scene. Um, and he'd soon go to prison and have his head chopped off and nobody would be following him and he would be okay with that too. But uh, John the Baptist saw the migration to following Jesus instead of staying static, static in the Old Testament religion of the Jews with joy. So if you're sitting there in 80, 90 and you're a Jew, you've got a good opinion of John the Baptist. Remember, close to Jesus' death, in, in that last week where Jesus is in Jerusalem, they, they you know say, who gave you authority? And he says, well, answer me this question first. John the Baptist, his authority, where did it come from? From God or from men? And remember what the Pharisees do? They don't respond. They say, well, if we say his authority came from, came from God, well, he was pointing and telling everyone to follow Jesus, and we don't want that. So we can't answer and say John the Baptist's authority came from God. But if we say his authority came from man, we'll have a riot on our hands because everyone here loves John the Baptist. He's a hero. He died as a martyr of Rome. He was a, a, a great faithful person preaching out in the wilderness. And so Jews in AD 90, they still had this high view of John the Baptist, the, a view that you know, the Pharisees knew better than to speak against. You know, Bob Knight just died this week. And I learned when, in my four years in Bloomington, Indiana, that you could criticize the team, but you couldn't criticize Bob Knight. I criticized something Bob Knight did at one point to a student who was a freshman there, had grown up uh, right around Indianapolis. And this was a believing student who loved me and all of a sudden, I kind of had a fight on my hand. <laughs> but if you're a Jew and, you know, if, if, if you're a Pharisee, you know, you can't say, oh, Bob kind of blew it that last night. Your Bob was still coaching when I was there. I was there from 91 to 95. He's still coaching at IU. Um, but, um, yeah, you, you, you didn't say Bob Knight blew it. You said his players let him down because he knew what he was doing. And they just weren't doing what he said. That's why, that's, uh, that's why Indiana lost all times. But um, uh, anyway, this was the case of John the Baptist. And what John is communicating here is this highly respected person. You as a Jew, you respect John the Baptist. And John the Baptist sees this migration to Jesus and says, it is as it should be. This is exactly what should be happening right now. Um, and so he sees this uh, move to Jesus instead of static Old Testament religion. John's not having joy. John the Baptist is not having joy over people leaving him and saying, I'm going to be a faithful person in the temple now. That's not what's happening. What's happening is people are saying, including his own disciples, Andrew and John, are following Jesus. And this gives him great, this gives him great joy. Um, B, 
this transition of true religion to center around Jesus was John the Baptist's whole reason for being. It was his whole reason for being. This is why he has joy. This is why he says, I must decrease and Jesus must increase. This is why I came. This is why I was preaching, to prepare a way to connect people, to connect people to Jesus. And so he was thrilled with this. So maybe your friends and parents are, are disappointed that you followed Jesus, or maybe someone new you meet is disappointed to find out that you follow Jesus, that you're affiliated with him, that you're a church person. But John the Baptist, the last great person God used to close off the Old Testament era, uh, would be delighted to see what you've done, to see that you have followed after Jesus, to see that you have been baptized by one of Jesus' disciples. That's what happened when a pastor baptized you. You were baptized by one of Jesus' disciples. And John, I don't think people in heaven are watching down. You know, when people say, I know my dad's looking down on me. I don't think that's going on. I think they've got much better things to look at, i.e. Jesus, um, as they're, they're in heaven. Uh, but if John the Baptist were looking down, he would be thrilled at every baptism that was going on. Um, that covenant sign that I started, John the Baptist, that got converted to being baptized in Jesus' name is going on and people are following Jesus. And I was at the very start of that. I was the first person publicly to say, follow him. Now all these other people are following him because Andrew and John went out and gathered people. And then they started gathering people. And then another 70s commercial warning here. And they told two friends and they told two friends and so on and so on. Um, but the transition of true religion to center around Jesus with John the Baptist's whole reason for being. I just, I can't imagine that. Sometimes if, uh, you know, I've seen, um, you know, different depictions of Jesus and him being baptized. And I start, my face starts contorting, you know, I'm like crying and my, I'm getting choked up and that kind of thing. Because I'm thinking, what if you're John the Baptist? This is the whole reason you've been put on earth. And now Jesus is coming to you. This is at this instant. Everything, all your preaching before and you're eating food and climbing the jungle gym when you were eight, you know, that's all that's all in the back. That's all in the background. The whole reason you were put on the planet that your father Zechariah was told about, that he went uh, mute for until you were born, that he scribbled his name is John on, on a piece of paper for, that he prophesied about in his long prophesy about me in Luke 1 was that I would be this prophet. This moment would happen. I would anoint the new and final and perfect son, son of David so that God's people would be blessed if they were his citizens from there on out. I would be an action taker in this promise given to David in 2 Samuel 7 that from now on forever, this is an everlasting kingdom that will not fade away. This is permanently sealed when Jesus is anointed as king by John the Baptist because no longer is there a succession from one son of David to another to another and that the kingdom would be everlasting through a, an everlasting succession of people. But now the king himself is everlasting and there's no succession of the king, kingship. The king remains and therefore the kingdom remains forever and there you are, and you're John the Baptist, and you're anointing this. You have a part 
in this starting, this everlasting kingdom that was spoken of to David and then to Daniel in that talk about the Son of Man having an everlasting kingdom that will not fade away like Babylon and, and Persia and Greece and Rome. So this great transition and John has great joy over it. So you have joy too. Have joy over the fact that you went out into the wilderness of civilized society that's too smart to have religion. You went out into the wilderness seeking after Jesus and his disciples and you were baptized by one of his disciples. Be like John the Baptist. Have joy that you did this. Um, you're believing in Jesus. It's the reason John the Baptist came into the world so that you would be one of Jesus' people, baptized by Jesus' disciple, a, a disciple of Jesus, and have eternal life. So see, see, be encouraged and have joy. Be encouraged and have joy. Uh, you've gotten the most important. You have gotten the most important thing. Your eternity, right? But also, you can't be prideful. That's your next blank about this, and that's just I can't preach John one through three all in one Sunday. <laughs> but John 1 and 2 and the beginning of 3 have been telling us you can't be prideful because how can you see the kingdom of God? Only if God the Father blows his spirit upon you. That's So that's your blank there. That's your being in the church is God's doing, not yours. So have great joy. Have great encouragement that you've made a wise, wise choice, but realize you made a wise choice and it wasn't your doing. It was God's doing. God blew his spirit upon you. He took like, like the apostle Paul, who when he was saw the scales off your eyes spiritually. And you saw the kingdom of God. Your heart understood the gospel. You understood your own sinfulness, your own peril. And you quit suppressing the truth of that. And you turned to Jesus with rejoicing that God came to you in mercy. In Jesus. And so rejoice over this, but never be prideful. Because this was God in mercy, giving you eyes to see when you couldn't see it, making you alive when you were dead in your transgressions and sins. So don't look at an unbeliever with pride, but look at yourself with great encouragement and joy, because here's what that means. God loved me so. And why did he love me instead of somebody else? Um, the only answer we have to that is because God wants to show forth his grace. Paul's answer to it is this. I'm the worst of sinners there has ever been because I persecuted the church and I was a blasphemer, First, First Timothy 1. And so God saved me so that he could show that he could save anybody. That's for reasons there in First Timothy 1. So there could be no doubt that nobody is past being saved. He saved me, the worst of sinners. And so there's no pride in that. You can't say you're proud because maybe God saved you because you were the next worst sinner to Paul. There's no pride in that. We don't know where we are in the line of that. But be encouraged and have joy. Regardless of your level of sin and where you wind up, God was being merciful and he included you. He caused you to come out and be baptized and be affiliated with Jesus, be a citizen of his kingdom and receiving the benefits that he earned uh, for all his citizens. So summary, summary. 
well, while many may disapprove of your faith, while many may disapprove of your faith, you can endure. And here's how John here, and here's how God through John the Apostle is telling you how you can endure even though you have people disapproving you because of your faith in Jesus. You can endure by remembering and just putting this a little bit different way. God's program is the church. God's program is not winding up at the end of your life with the most money. God's program is not winding up at the end of your life with the most fame. God's program is not ending up at the end of your life with the most accomplishment. God's program is not the Jewish nation. God's program is not Islam. God's program is not Buddhism. God's program is not you being a, oh, he's a great guy. That's not God's program. God's program is the church. That's what he's doing here. The church is super. God's program in the Old Testament was absolutely Israel. But that's superseded by this new anointed one, the one who fulfills prophet, priest, and king. So God's program is the church. You are in the middle of what God's doing. That's encouraging. Um, you know, it's like when someone brings something to you that's uninteresting, you say, I don't care. <laughs> quit talking. That's what we say inside. You know, quit talking. But we're in the midst of what God cares about. We're in the midst of what he's doing on the earth. When he looks down at the earth, he's looking at us. He's watching over us. So God's program is the church. So knowing this, you can boldly affiliate with the church. You can boldly affiliate with the church. You can rest. That is, be confident that you're in the right place. I'm in the right place being in the church. And you can be encouraged that God got you here. He blew upon you with his spirit so that your eyes could see. That was his plan. That was his program for you. Whatever, however old you were when you believed, that was his program here for you. And he made you a part of his program. Let's pray.